This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start tonight's show with a visit with Boston Blackie, a show that really had its birth in prison. You see, writer Jack Boyle grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and while working as a newspaper reporter in San Francisco, he became an opium addict and was drawn into crime. He was jailed for writing bad checks and later convicted of robbery. Boyle was serving time in San Quentin when he created the character of Boston Blackie, so some of the characters might indeed have been drawn from some of his inmates who shared prison time with him. The actor who portrayed Boston Blackie was Chester Morris, an actor who appeared in several Broadway productions in the early 20s and then joined his parents, sister, and two brothers on the vaudeville circuit. Now, Morris made his sound film debut in the 1929 film Alibi, for which he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor. By the mid to late 1930s, Morris's popularity had begun to wane, but his career was revived when he was cast as criminal-turned-detective Boston Blackie. Morris appeared in a total of 14 Boston Blackie films for Columbia Pictures. He reprised the role of Boston Blackie for the radio series in 1944. And in the early to mid-1960s, Morris appeared in guest spots for the dramas Route 66, The Defenders, and Dr. Kildare. In 1965, he replaced Jack Albertson in the Broadway production of The Subject Was Roses. Tonight, we hear him in the episode The Sam Bellows Case, which first aired in Bullseye of a hundred. One hundred and fifty points. Let's see you do better than that with three dots, Monahan. Go ahead, go ahead, toss them. Fifty. Thirty. On the line, almost a bullseye, but it's only seventy-five. What's seventy-five, Inspector Faraday? Twice your IQ. Who said you could commit a police headquarters, Blanky? Get out of here. Faraday, you've tried to escort me in here yourself a dozen times. What about it? Get out of here now, I'm warning you. One of these dots will go wild. How many points does it count if I catch it between the teeth? What do you want, Blakey? You. Which shows how easy I am to satisfy. Okay. One hand, get lost. We'll go on with our game a little later. I better be alone with this guy. Talkative guy, that Monahan. What do you want, Blakey? Come on, I'm busy. I've come down here to make you a very happy person, Inspector. Well, leave now and you got what you came for. Now get away from that target. Thirty? On the line, Faraday. It's only ten. Ever hear of a guy named Bellows? No. 
Ah, 50. Lucky shot. Sam Bellows, a cripple. I never heard of him. Is that all you came down here for? <coughs> 75. Ah, that's better. That's awful. I suppose you can do better than you. The answer is yes, no matter what you might be referring to. Give me the dot. A three is all you get. Then you get moving, you hear? I think you'd better go down and see the Sam Bellows, Inspector. Oh, you do. And uh, that's nice of you. Why? Because he's dead. Bullseye, <coughs> that's a hundred. So he's dead, so what? So he probably died of natural causes. That's true enough. There's nothing unnatural about dying when you've been murdered. <coughs> Bullseye, hundred points more. Bellows has been murdered? How do you know that? Come on, come on, talk. Sure, Inspector. You see, I killed him. <coughs> Bullseye. Now back to Richard Calmer's Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friends. How many more times do I have to tell you, Faraday? I killed the guy. You expect me to fall for a story like that? I'm beginning to see why I have to solve so many cases for you. You won't even believe a confession. All right, Blackie. What's the trick? Faraday, someday you'll be arrested for impersonating a police officer. It's no trick. I tell you, I killed Sam Bellows. Where's the body? Now you're getting smart, Inspector. In an old brownstone house at the corner of West Boulevard and 110th Street. All right. I'll go have a look. You mean we'll go have a look? I'll go have a look. You'll go get lost. You're wanting to go with me as some kind of a gag. And I'm not falling for it. My, how times have changed. You're usually trying to catch me for doing something I didn't do. This time I confess to a murder and you want to get rid of me. If you don't get out of here, Blackie, I'll arrest you for... I'll think of something. After you found Sam Bellow's body, Inspector, maybe a reason to arrest me will occur to you. Mary, that's probably Charlie Kingston. Let him in, will you? Oh, of course, Dad. Sidekick, Charlie. Oh, look. At a kennel or a stable? <laughs> look out, Blackie. Now he's going to jump all over you. Nice boy. Nice boy. Down. <laughs> down. <laughs> You're going to have my right arm just as soon as I'm through. Down. Oh, Charlie, what is that? A dog. If that's a dog, what's a horse? I'll admit he's a little large, Blackie, but he's harmless. Harmless? He tried to devour us before we were even introduced. Oh, no, 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 Mary. He was just making love to you. Happy's a very strange animal. Pays no attention to me or to anyone else he knows well. He only likes strangers. Well, introduce us to him quick before we stampeded. Maybe I'd better put it in the kitchen. Good idea. Oh, close the hall door, will you, Blackie? Sure. Come on, come on, happy. Nice boy. Oh, wait a minute, Charlie. The kitchen door opens out. Will you pull it towards you? Okay. <laughs> I hope your mind is happy place in here, Mary. Of course she doesn't, Charlie. She wants a new kitchen anyway. <laughs> what kind of a dog is that, Charlie, besides Big? We'll talk about happy later. I want to know if you saw Sam Bellow. His house is impossible to break into, and he wouldn't see me in any normal way, so I went to Inspector Faraday and told him I had killed Bellows. What? Blackie. Don't worry, he didn't believe me. He went to investigate, but he wouldn't take me with him, so... That idea is wasted. Maybe you went too far. Um, can't we talk about something besides murder just before dinner? I'm sorry, Mary. Oh, well, this, uh, this is just before dinner, isn't it? Uh, forgive the delay, Mary. You can have anything your heart desires at any restaurant you name. Oh, wonderful. What are we waiting for? Charlie, isn't the girl in love supposed to lose her appetite? Well, 
Well, that's the way I always heard it. Mary, how you must hate me. Come on, come on, Rollins. Haven't you cut through that door yet? Come on, let's hold you up. This is just an acetylene torch, Inspector Faraday, not a 20-millimeter tank gun. And this is a steel door. Uh, now I know why Blanky gave me that cock and bull story about killing this guy, Bellows. Why? There's probably no such guy as Bellows. We rang every bell we could find, and nobody answered. And why did Blanky say he killed him? There's something in this house Blanky wants. And he figured he could steal it right under my nose once he got inside. What made him think you'd get a miss? He knows I chipped my way barehanded through a brick wall to pin something on him. Maybe nobody answers the door, and a corner of everybody inside is dead. Maybe Blanky wasn't lying. All right, that'll be enough out of you, Roland. Keep busy with that blowtorch. I want to... There she is, Inspector. Now we can walk in. Door hasn't been open for a while. Well, somebody lives here, all right. There's a light at the end of the hall. Spooky, John. Ah, you've been to too many movies. Hello, sir. Hey, you! Yeah. Hey, you! Thought you were deaf as that. I told you you saw too many movies. Hey, you! Just keep walking down the hall. Well, he's not dead, anyhow. Maybe he's a zombie. You've been to the movies once or twice yourself, Inspector. Come on, let's go after Hey, you! What's the matter? Can't you hear? Hey, wait a minute, you. Grab him, Rollins. I got him. What are you looking so startled for? We called you. Hey, Inspector, I was right. I guess you're right. Hey, you. Can't you talk? Look, look like this. I move my mouth. Talk. 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 Yes, I'm dumb. I got it. Give me a pad and pencil. Sure. I'll write notes to this guy and he can write back to me. Here. What if he can't write? Then I'll make him your boss. Get lost, will you, Rollins? Have a look around and see what's in the rest of the house. Sure. All right. You and I are going to have a little spelling bee. Can you write? Ah, never mind. I'll just write out a question and see if you can write the answer. Does Sam Bellows live here? Take a look at this. Well, I hope a nod means yes. You'll have to write this answer, though. Who are... You. Here. Now you write. I am the maintenance man, but I know nothing. You want to see Frank Lewis, Mr. Bellows, financial advisor, or Larry Addington, his nephew. Okay, I can remember that. Don't look so pained. I'll pick the paper up off the floor before I leave. Hey, Inspector Faraday! What's the matter, Rollins? Come here, quick! Okay. I don't leave here, you. (laughs) As if you could hear me. What's up, Rollins? There's something that ought to be sort of interesting, Inspector. Well, Blackie's confession was the truth, huh? Sam Bellis. He's in his big red wheelchair with a knife in his chest. Sort of dead, too. Sure is. I've got Blackie sort of dead, too. Right. Well, thanks, Mary, for a wonderful evening. You're sure you don't mind if I leave Happy here in your apartment overnight? Oh, of course not, Charlie. He's a lovely dog. 
And he seems to like it there in my kitchen. Well, thanks. And thanks for the wonderful evening, too. And thank you for the wonderful dinner. And thank me for just tagging along, I suppose. Oh. Now, I am not expecting anyone. Well, let's see who you are not expecting. Ah, last. It is my secret lover. I confess all. Oh, come and come. <laughs> yes? Hello, Miss Wesley. Inspector Farrington. Some secret lover. Thank you, him. Yes, yes, come in. He was just leaving. Well, the pleasant part of the evening is over. You're here, Inspector. What do you want? You, Blackie. Mary's got a priority. Thank you, sir. Uh, Faraday, this is Charlie King. How are you? How are you, Inspector? I think we met on the phone several weeks ago. Oh, that's right. So you did. I hope you enjoyed yourself this evening, Blackie. Because it's the last fun you're going to have for a long time. Why, are you resigning from the force? I'm arresting you for murder, Blackie. Now, who did I kill? Sam Bellows. What? I... Blackie, you said you didn't see him. I didn't. Oh, no, of course not. And how'd you know he'd be found dead? Was he? He was. Come on, Blackie. I'm taking him down to headquarters. Saturday. Don't be stupid. And put that gun away. I'll put it away when you're tucked away. In jail. Come on. All right, Inspector, you win. But let me get my raincoat, will you, from the kitchen? Oh, no, you don't. But all I want to do Go is... Go into just... the kitchen and duck out the back way. But, huh? Inspector, I promise I'll you... I'll get the... your raincoat for you. Which is the kitchen door? Blackie, happy as you know. Yes, I'm happy about the whole thing, too. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Charlie. Oh, so everybody's happy, huh? That's fine. Now, which is the kitchen door? That one. Now, don't move, Blackie. I still have a gun on you. Yes, keep you. So long, Faraday. I'm leaving. Get me out from under this face-licking pony. What? So you can arrest me for murder, huh? Nothing doing. I'm leaving, Faraday. But I've got an idea, though. Fight him. At least that's news. For a reason he chose to keep to himself, Charlie Kingston, Blackie's millionaire friend, asked Blackie to do anything in his power to see and talk to a man named Sam Bellows. Unable to break into Bellows' home, Blackie came to Inspector Faraday with a story that he had killed Bellows in his home and should be taken to the scene of the crime. But Faraday suspected Blackie's confession was a trick and went to Bellows' home alone. There he found Bellows, murdered. Faraday then tried to arrest Blackie for murder, but Blackie, as usual, escaped. It is early the next morning. As we return to our story, Blackie and Charlie Kingston, dressed as policemen, are climbing the steps of Sam Bellows' house. Are you sure we'll get by the policeman at the top of the stairs? Look at your clothes. We're policemen, too, remember? Mm-hmm. Won't this police guard recognize you? Some with the visor in my cap pulled down. Come on, boys. Inspector sent you to relieve us. Uh, the relief men are coming up in a few minutes. Uh, Faraday sent up for some special detail, okay? Sure, sure. Go on in. Come on, Charlie. Right. Hey, wait, I'll open the door first. Thanks. Uh, who else is here? Only Thompson. He's upstairs. Okay, thanks. Well, that wasn't hard, was it? No, but I'm not used to this sort of thing. You'll live longer if you don't try to get used to it, Charlie. Let's have a look around. What do you expect to find? Something that will lead us to Bella's murderer and take me off a spot. Well, let's hope we find it. Hey, Charlie. Look at this crumpled paper on the floor. Yeah. Seems to be a... Note of some kind. Let's have a look at it. 
There seems to be two different kinds of handwriting on it. As, as if one person were asking questions and the other answering them. Faraday wrote the questions. I know that scrawl of his anywhere. Who wrote the answers? Someone who calls himself a maintenance man. He says he knows nothing, but mentions a financial advisor named Frank Lewis and a nephew, Larry Addington. I see. Faraday obviously met someone here in this house who could neither hear nor talk and had to write everything down. I suppose this information is useless, though. Not at all. A nephew and a financial advisor might be a perfect combination for a murder. I think I'll go up and see that advisor as soon as we're through here. Someone's coming in the front door. Probably the relief gun. Well, that special detail you sent in the house now, Inspector Faraday. Oh. Special detail? What are you talking about? Oh, this is fine. Come on, Charlie. Out the back door. What if there isn't a back exit? Well, in that case, we'll get up speed, put our heads down, and make one. Yes? Frank Lewis? Yes. I'm Special Police Investigator John Jones. You were Sam Bellows' financial advisor, weren't you? Yes. I've had one visit from the police this morning, Inspector Faraday. I told him everything I could. Faraday sent me back to ask a few more questions, if you don't mind. Well, I mind because I'm busy, but I suppose there's nothing I can do. What else do you want to know? More about the will. I told Inspector Faraday everything I know. The night before last, Bellows changed his will. Formerly, the entire estate was to be left to Larry Addington, his nephew, with the exception of 5,000 to Ben Atkins, the deaf and dumb handyman in Bellows' home. Who did the new will benefit? Atkins again for $5,000, but instead of the remainder of the estate, about $100,000 being left to the nephew, Bellows chose to leave it to some charity, a dog and cat hospital. Any reason for doing this? Just so his nephew wouldn't get it. Cigarette? No, thanks. Don't mind if I smoke? Of course not. You say the will was changed the night before last and Larry Addington, the nephew, was cut out. Did Addington know this? I don't see how it was possible. Bellows and his nephew seldom spoke to each other. Then it's possible, isn't it, that Addington killed his uncle thinking he'd get his money? Possibly. He's in constant trouble living above his means. He needs money. Say, you smoke more of a cigarette than I thought. Why do you say that? These cigarettes in this ashtray here. I doubt if they've been puffed more than two or three times. Oh, they were left there by a client of mine who was here just a few minutes ago. Nervous, huh? Very. Look what he does to paper matches, takes the ends and rips them up the middle. Is there anything else I can tell you about the Sam Bellows matter? Yes. Where can I get in touch with Larry Addington? Larry lives at the Baker house. Thanks. You think Larry might have killed his uncle, believing he was still mentioned in the will? Yes, I do. And I have an idea that you're a little leery of Larry yourself. You have to stand still, Mr. Addington. Well, hurry up, will you, Martin? I'm trying to hurry, Mr. Addington, but I can't face the coat. You don't stand still. I don't like to stand still. Oh, we're going to be interrupted again. Come in. Tom, I told you not Larry to... Larry Addington in here? I'm Larry Addington. Good. I'd like to talk to you. Yeah, some other time. I'm busy having a fitting. Did my man let you come in here? Please, Mr. Addington, stand still. Uh, where do you intend going in that tweet, Addington? To a racetrack? Uh, your opinion is uncalled for, and so is your presence. Yeah, Mr. Addington, how do you like the way the coat hangs now? Oh. Well, I guess so. Why all the new clothes, Addington? Anything wrong with a few new suits? Since my uncle was killed, I'm rich. Are you? Yes, yes, I, uh... <laughs> 
want to look the part of a man who's just come into a fortune. Well, look the part if you want to, Addington, but you haven't come into a dime. <laughs> Where do you read the paper? <laughs> Where do you read the will? My uncle left his money to me, uh, Mr. Martin. Yes? Don't just stand there. I don't have all day. Oh, I was interested in this man's remark about your uncle's will. What remark? Uh, forgive me, but he said... I said uh, Addington here was completely cut out of his uncle's will. What? That's not true. I saw my uncle's will last week. Well, you should have seen it last night or the night before last, just before he was killed. He changed it? He made a slight amendment, Addington. He cut me off? Without a cent. How do you know? I just talked with Frank Lewis. He was your uncle's financial advisor. Why would he tell you anything? Um, uh, I have what you might call a slight interest in your uncle's murder. You aren't suggesting that If I... someone had suggested to you that your uncle was going to change his will... You might have killed him before he had had a chance to change it. I didn't know his will was going to be changed. That'll be hard to prove. Uh, well, just try to prove I killed him. You know something, pal? That's exactly what I'm going to do. Charlie, this is Blackie. Yes, Blackie. Mary said you were going to see Bellows' financial advisor or the nephew, Addington. How have things worked out? All right so far. I just left the nephew. Is he your man? I don't know. He thought he was going to get his uncle's money, so he might have killed him. The person we've overlooked is the deaf and dumb handyman Faraday found in the Bellows' house when he discovered the body. How could he be involved? He was left $5,000 in every will Bellows wrote. He might have discovered that Bellows had cut the nephew off and killed his employer, thinking maybe suspicion would be all on the angry nephew. Well, I suppose a man of his means would kill for 5000 wouldn't he? Charlie, there have been murders for five cents. I think I'm going to get some more dope on that handyman. But Blackie, you can't get back into Bellows' house. Faraday will have his policeman checking everyone who comes within a block of the place. I know it. I've been ducking Faraday so much today, I'm getting stoop-shouldered. <laughs> Is Mary there? No, no, she isn't. I thought I could send her into Bellows' house as a, oh, well, a, say a newspaper reporter. She could get by Faraday's men with, with dark glasses and a new hairdo. I know where you can reach her. She just left here to take Happy down to the Mayfair Dog Hospital for a general checkup. Oh, thanks, Charlie. I'll go down there and meet her. Maybe I even belong with the dogs after the way Faraday's been hounding me. <laughs> Something I can do for you, sir? Uh, yes. Is there a young lady here with a rather large dog? She brought him in for a checkup, I think. No, there isn't. This is the Mayfair Animal Hospital, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, I guess I got here too soon. Mind if I wait? Not at all. Um, is there a, a chair or a, a bench around Perhaps here? Perhaps you'd like to wait in my office. Oh, thanks. This way. Think that chair will be comfortable? Thank you. No, I think I've seen your picture in the paper. Strange what papers will do for news sometimes. Yes, you certainly look familiar. Uh, I'm Seth Peters. Cigarette? No, thanks. Mind if I smoke? None at all. Uh, there isn't by any chance another Mayfair Animal Hospital in town, is it? Not that I know of. Hmm. Mary and Happy must have been delayed on the way down here. Hmm, what'd you say? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Do you, um, always do that? Huh? Uh, take, do those, what? take those matches and tear them. 
a nervous habit of trying to break it, but I can't. Oh, I see. Would oh, you mind pushing the ashtray over this way? Of course not. I'll put your cigarette out. How's your friend, Frank Lewis? Who? Frank Lewis, the financial advisor. I don't know what he is, Frank Lewis. Why do you ask? That cigarette of yours makes me ask. A cigarette? Nothing wrong with it? Why, no. You put it out rather suddenly. Oh, I never take more than three or four drags. And you don't know Frank Lewis? Oh. Does he have the same habit? No, but you're lying when you say you don't know him. He has a client who does the same thing with matches and cigarettes. You. Oh, no. Here. Lewis said Sam Bellows left his money to a dog and cat hospital. I think if I looked at Bellows' will, I'd find that it was, uh, this place of yours. I don't know about that. You said you didn't know Frank Lewis. Yet you were up in his office this morning. Not true. The ashtray in his desk was filled with torn matches and cigarettes barely smoked. You own this place? Yes, you. That doesn't mean a thing. It means plenty. It means you killed Bellows for his money and then went to Lewis to collect. The fact that he denied you'd been there makes him part of the scheme. Just because I own this place, you think I killed Bellows, huh? It'd be worth your while. Well, I don't own this place. I merely front for the man who does. All right, who's the real owner? Frank Lewis, he's the man you want. Didn't even know Bellows was dead until Lewis called me to his office this morning. Come on, Peters. You're going down to police headquarters. But I tell you, I didn't kill anyone. Lewis did. He forced Bellows to change his will night before last, then killed him. Set that story to music, Peters, because when we get to police headquarters, you're going to sing. Well, I guess that's about all there is to tell, Mary. When Peters got through talking, Faraday had Lewis in jail. That clears up everything, Blackie, except why you wanted to get in to see Bellows in the first place. Because Charlie here asked me to. Oh. You didn't know it was going to get you into such trouble, Blackie. Oh, I don't mind trouble, Charlie. But I do like to know why I'm getting into it. You never did tell me why you wanted me to see Bellows. Well, Bellows was an engineer in one of my plants a few years ago. He disappeared with some important blueprints. For business reasons, I had to find Bellows and recover the prints quietly. I thought it was best to come to you. Well, we certainly had a quiet time of it, didn't we? <laughs> hey, let's not forget that Charlie's dog helped solve this case. Yes, I suppose Happy did have a share in this, didn't he? Sure, I think Inspector Faraday should give Happy a medal. Or make him a member of the force. Oh, Blackie, don't be silly. How could Happy be a police dog? He doesn't even begin to look like one. Secret service. Ooh,
Stay tuned for Challenge of the Yukon next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Challenge of the Yukon with Sergeant Preston and his dog Yukon King. Tonight we have the episode A Dog Named Mabel, first aired in 1947. Challenge of the Yukon! It's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On you husky! Gold. Gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog King battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. At the trading post in Selkirk, Pete Carruthers sat in a corner trying on mucklucks while Francois, the proprietor, carried on his usual patter of local gossip. So now we get bank here in Selkirk, you say. <laughs> That'd be a good thing, bank. Many bad men come to North not for prospecting in ground, but in people's pockets. Oh, Francois, you're always suspecting the worst in people. Most of them are pretty honest, I find. Oh, you, Pete, you trust everyone. Never have I seen such men as you. You have good heart, but you are bad businessman. Maybe it's because I haven't too much to lose. I can't complain, though. My claim is paying off, and I have quite a bit saved. You give away more than you save. Yeah. How you like them boots? These fit all right. I'll put the other one on. Hello, Francois. Oh, hello, Pete. Hi there, Jake. Hello, Jake. You want something? Well, I need some flour and tobacco. Uh, I hate to ask you, Francois, but I need a little more credit. Jake, me, I am generous man, I think. Yeah. But three times now, I give you credit when long time ago I should stop. This time, I must say no. Well, Francois, I'll pay you as soon as I get some money. What's wrong, Jake? You broke? Oh, I had some tough luck. Give him what he wants, Francois. Put it on my account. But Pete... Gee, is... thanks, Pete. You're sure a good fella. That's all right, Jake. Well, all right. I get it for you. Gee, I just saw Red Davis and Lucky Darrell in the cafe before I come in here. They said they were going over to your house to see you. Say, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Said they'd be over today, and I clean forgot about it. Yeah, here you are, Jake. Yeah. Well, thanks, Francois. Don't thank me. If I had to say so, you would not get this flour and tobacco. Never mind, Francois. Jake will pay me back. You're darn tootin', I will. Well, so long, Pete. You should not give your money to Jake. He is no good. Well, maybe he's just having a little hard luck. Never have I seen such a man as you. How many men have you grubstaked? <laughs> Not too many. But you never can tell. They had paid dirt, half of it will be mine. But some of them you hardly know. They have to file their claims here, don't they? When I have papers to show I grubstaked them, I'm entitled to get half. Well, <laughs> maybe I am wrong. Maybe the world, she need more men like you. You are a trusting man. But I would not say a wise one. <laughs> I'll take these mucklucks, Francois. I guess I'd better wear them. I'm in a hurry. I have to get back to my cabin to meet Red Davis and Lucky Darrell. Well, hello, Pete. Hello, Pete. Hi there, Red and Lucky. I've been waiting for you. Come on in. Right. We wanted to talk to you about grub sticking this beef. Well, that's it. You wouldn't be taking much of a chance this time, Pete. I got a good tip from this friend of mine who just made a big strike. 
There's plenty of gold up there where he is. And if we can get enough supplies together, we'll have a fortune in no time. Oh, good. Oh, I'm sorry Jane and my young son aren't here. I'd like to have you meet him. Uh, make yourself at home, boy. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks. That cabin you have here. Uh-huh. Jane would like it better if we were a little closer to town. You uh, said you had a son, too, didn't you? Yeah. Jimmy's nine years old. Now, how much do you boys figure you'll need? Well, uh, you grubstake people before him. Yeah. Let's see. Well, well, I can give you exact figures if you want to see them. Keep all my papers here in this tin box. Blank forms here. You? Here we are. I can't let you have as much as I gave Slim Jackson. My savings are getting low. I feel this is a good investment. How about 300? Well, that ought to be enough. Yeah, yeah, we could make it on that, I think. All right, boys. I'm going to take a chance on you. Hey, yeah. There's $300 in gold. Now, you sign this paper. This pencil. Oh, sure. I fill in the money here, don't I? That's right. I guess we really ought to have a witness, but I trust you, boys. Yeah. Now you sign it, Lucky. Right, sure. Yeah, maybe we'll all be rich someday. Well, come on, Lucky. Thanks a lot, Pete. We'll be seeing you as soon as we hit pay dirt and come back here to file a claim. Yeah, I guess your wife and son are coming now, Pete. See a boy and a woman coming up the trail. Stay and meet him, why don't you? We'll meet him when we have some good news for him. Come on, Red. Uh, goodbye, Pete. Bye. Good luck. Well, we did it. That claim is as rich as I think it's going to be. He's made a good investment. He's not a very good businessman. Why? What do you mean? He didn't have any witnesses there. Nobody saw us get that money. No, but he's got our signature. If that claim is as rich as you think it's going to be, it might be a good idea to get that paper somewhere. If he couldn't produce a paper, he'd have a hard time proving he grubstakes. Uh huh. Tin box wouldn't be hard to open. Well, let's not count our chicken. There'll be plenty of time to decide what to do after we get paid, or if we do. Quiet. Here's his wife and kid. What's he carrying? Oh, he looks like a pup. Howdy, ma'am. Hello there. You just came out of our cabin, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We've been to see your father. I'm going to surprise him. But look what I have. <laughs> well, he's a fine pup. Now, don't you bother these men, Jimmy. They're probably in a hurry. Well, I can't wait till Dad sees Mabel. Uh, he'll like him, all right. Come on, Lucky. I don't see why you want to call that dog Mabel. Oh, I like that name, and Mabel likes it, too. He knows it already. Oh, all right, Jimmy. Then Mabel it is. Here's our house, Mabel. Now, go on in and meet Dad. <laughs> now, Dad, what do you think it is? A cow? Strange-looking animal. <laughs> I never saw such big feet. It is an odd-looking pup. Zeke Smith gave it to Jimmy. I guess maybe there's every kind of a dog you could think of mixed up in him. But I think he's beautiful. Mabel and I are going to be the best friends in the world. As Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police drove his dog team along the trail bordering the river near Selkirk, he heard a child's voice calling frantically. What's wrong down there? Jimmy, come out of that water. No, i got to get my dog. My dog's out there. Jimmy, come back here. Now, get up there on shore. 
but Sergeant Preston, my dog's out there on that piece of ice. He broke away. I I just gotta get him. I'll get him for you some way. No, get out of this water. <laughs> oh, look, he, he slipped. He's in the water and he's going under. He'll get drowned, he's so little. All right, Jim. I guess you can get him, boy. Go get him, Jim. Stay up here on shore, Jim. Jim will get him. Your dog won't drown. Mabel's just a pup. I hope King can bring him in. Current's too strong for a pup. The King can handle it. There, see? King got him. Come on, King, old boy. We'll have to run along the shore. Yes. Current's sweeping them down. Poor Mabel. He's half drowned, I'll bet. There. King's bringing him to shore. Good work, old boy. Well, there's your dog, Jim. Still very much alive. I'll put you inside my party. Come on back to my sled, Jim. We'll get you and these dogs back to your cabin and dry you off. You think you'll get a bad cold, Sergeant? No, we'll dry him off and warm him up, and I'm sure he'll be as good as new. While Jimmy changed his clothes, Sergeant Preston talked to Mrs. Carruthers. Mabel and King dried off before the fire. Just what kind of dog is Mabel? A mixture of about everything, I guess, Sergeant. All I know is that he's more trouble than any dog I ever saw. He chews everything up and takes things out and buries them in the snow. Well, most pups do that. Not quite as much as this one, though. Pete is furious. He had to go down and buy some more mucklucks today. Mabel stole the new one. Or rather, one of them. Buried it somewhere, I guess. We can't find it anywhere. Well, can't you train Mabel not to do it? We've tried, but nothing seems to work. He's very quick about it and rather sly. If Jimmy weren't so fond of him, we'd give him away. He's threatening to do it anyway. Oh, here's Pete now. Hello, dear. Hello. Oh, Preston, I thought I recognized your team out there. How are you, Pete? Sergeant Preston just saved Mabel from drowning. Oh. Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to thank him for it. That dog is a pest. We've got to get rid of him. Oh, no. If he steals one more thing that belongs to me, I'm going to get rid of it. He'll uh, get over it when he's a little older. Well, I can't wait that long. He's stolen mittens, boots, caps, and everything you could think of. I'm reaching the end of my patience. It was a few weeks later. Red Davis and Lucky Darrell were camped a few miles outside of Selkirk. The appearance of the men had changed. Lucky Darrell had grown a thick beard that covered his face like a mask, while Red had shaved his beard off completely. Red was cooking their supper as he talked to Lucky. We'll stay here for a few days till we find out what's happening in town. Now, you better go into Selkirk tomorrow. I'm afraid somebody might recognize me and start asking questions. Nobody will know you with that beard. You didn't have one before. They'll probably recognize me, though, on kind of my red hair. I think we're taking a big chance doing this. We're not taking a chance at all. If we can find out when nobody's going to be at Pete's cabin, we can get into that tin box in two minutes. Red, uh, why don't we give him half the claim? After all, he did grubstake us, and legally it's his. Now, don't start that again. Do you realize if we give him half of it, that means we'll just get a fourth apiece? But it's a rich claim. There'll be enough for all of us. It's too rich to give away if we don't have to. Now, nobody witnessed it when we signed that paper. If we can get our hands on it, we'll deny that Pete ever grubstaked us. He'll have nothing to prove that he did. But we're going to get that paper. But don't forget we have to file a claim. We'll file it after we get the paper that proves Pete owns half of it. Now, tomorrow morning, you go into town and see what's happening. Maybe they'll be having a party or something that Pete might want to attend. The following morning, 
Sergeant Preston stopped his dog team before the Carruthers' cabin. Young Jimmy was out in front playing with his pup. Hooking. Oh, hooking. Hello, Sergeant Preston. Quiet, Mabel. Don't you recognize King? How are you, Jimmy? Thought I'd stop and see how you are after you're dipping the river. And uh, how's Mabel? Oh, we're both fine. It didn't hurt Mabel a bit. Yes. Look at him. I think he knows King. He's trying to show off in front of him. Mabel's trying to impress King, all right. Wants to play with him. Oh, uh, you're going to the big show in town tonight? Sure. Pop and Mama are taking me. I never saw a magician before. They say he takes things out of hats and makes things disappear and everything. I guess just about everyone in town will be there. Quite a treat for the people to have some entertainment. Jimmy! Jimmy! So, uh, hello, Preston. Hello, Pete. Something wrong? What's wrong, Pop? It's your dog again. I can't find one of my new mucklucks. He must have buried it somewhere. I, uh, I think this is the first time I ever saw you mad, Pete. I am mad, and this is the last straw. I told you, Jimmy, that if he hid one more thing of mine, that you'd have to get rid of that dog. Oh, Pop, no. I could brain that fool animal. I just bought that pair of boots a few weeks ago. Look at him, leaping around, showing off in front of King. King saved his life, and... And Mabel remembers them. If you'd have hung your boots up on a nail or something... I'm through running our house to suit Mabel. Hanging everything up beyond uh, reach. Pete, look. Mabel just dug something out of the snow. Why, look, Pop. It, it looks like your boots. Mabel wants to play tug-of-war with King. <laughs> oh, my new mucklock. Now bring that here, you little scalawag. Jimmy, catch him. Mabel. Come here, Mabel. Give that to Mabel's a lively pup, all right. Jimmy's got to get rid of that silly dog. I won't have him around anymore. Well, Jimmy's pretty fond of him. Of course, most dogs do that when they're little. Why don't you give Mabel one more chance? Here's your little pop. It isn't hurt a bit. Now, you give that dog a good hard whipping. But, but I can't whip him for digging up the boots. It was burying it that was bad, oh. wasn't it, Sergeant? Uh, Jimmy's right, Pete. If Mabel is rewarded for digging up the boots, maybe he'll find some of the other things he's buried. You're a good dog, Mabel. Good old fella. You'd better show him the boot and pet him, Pete. Well, this beats everything. Having to pet him when I want to kick him in the slats. <laughs> well, if I get back some of my mittens and things. Come here, Mabel. Good dog. You dug up this boot. I could kick all your teeth in, but you're a very good dog. He's proud of himself. Look at him wiggle. Well, guess I'll run along. See you tonight, please. Jimmy says you're all going to see the magician. Yeah. Maybe I can make a deal with that magician to come out here and make Mabel disappear. <laughs> come on, King. Goodbye. So Goodbye, Sergeant. Later that night, Red and Lucky walked quietly toward Pete's cabin. A light snow was falling. You sure nobody in town recognized you today? Not a soul. <laughs> this beard makes me look like everybody else who wears one. We'll go back to camp tonight after we get that paper. And tomorrow we'll come into town and pretend we just got here and file the claim. You, uh, sure Pete won't be home tonight? I told you everybody in the place is going to see that magician. There's never any entertainment up here. Nobody would miss it. Right, here's Pete Tavin. There's a dim light burning in it. Nobody's home or it'd be brighter. There's just enough light for me to find that little tin box. Think I ought to stay out here and watch? Yeah. yeah this snow is a good piece of luck. It'll cover our tracks. I'll leave the cabin door open. If you hear anyone coming along the trail, whistle. All right, but hurry. There's a lot of people use this trail. Hey, 
Hey, you quiet. Hey, quiet, I said. Hey, quit jumping on me. Friendly little cuss, aren't you? Down, I say. I don't want to play with you. Now go away. Here's the tin box. This light is so dim. Hey, go away, Pop. Go on, go on. Now, here's the one I'm looking for. Now, put the box back. Pete will never know it's been moved. Now, hey, where's my mitten? Did you find it, Pierce? Oh, I thought you were keeping watch. Nobody's coming. Did you get the paper? Yeah, I got it here somewhere. Now, where in the dickens? What's wrong? Took the paper out of the box and put it in my mitten on the floor beside me. Now the mitten is gone. Gone? Oh, you're crazy. So dark in here. You maybe I kicked it accidentally. It must be here somewhere. See it any place? Couldn't have walked away all by itself. Where? Hey, that pup. I bet he took it. Did you see him? No, but the door was open and he's black. Come on. He must be out here somewhere. There he is in the snow. Come back here, you black mongrel. You're scaring him. He's running. I'll get him. Hey, don't shoot that gun. Somebody will hear it. Now, where's that dog? It's so dark I don't see him anymore. Probably scared him so by shooting at him that he's still running. We'll never find him without a lantern. I don't see why you had to stick that paper in your mitten. It might have blown away if I'd have put it on the floor. I certainly thought the mitten was safe enough. That ornery little cur. I should have brained him. Say, Red, uh, maybe we can find a lantern in the house and trail him. Hey, listen. That sounds like a dog team coming. We gotta get out of here. Maybe we can come back when it's light. It's a cinch. Pete won't be able to find the paper anyway. Come on. I'll come back early tomorrow before anyone's out. Maybe I can. About an hour after daybreak the following morning, Red looked up from the campfire at which he was cooking breakfast as Lucky approached. You back already? Did you find the mitten? Snowed last night, you know that. There weren't any tracks. I looked all over. I was there at Pete's cabin before anyone was awake. But it must have been around somewhere. That pup couldn't have eaten it. The snow covered all his tracks. He probably dragged the mitten off into the woods somewhere. You didn't leave any fresh tracks around in the snow yourself, did you? You think I'm crazy, Red. I could see from the trail that all the tracks around the cabin were covered. Well, I guess we're safe enough. If we can't find that mitten, I'm sure Pete won't be able to. Especially when he doesn't even know the paper's missing out of his tin box. When he does miss it, he won't go looking for it in a strange mitten that his pup dragged off into the woods. What are you planning to do, Red? We'll do just what we plan to do. Go in and file this claim under our names. If Pete puts up a squawk, we just don't know what he's talking about. We'll wait until noon today and then go in and get a room at the hotel and pretend we just mushed in from the north. That night in the Silver Slipper Cafe, everyone was helping to celebrate the new strike made by Red and Lucky. As Pete Carruthers walked in the door, he was met by Jake. Hello there, Pete. Hey, I've been lucky tonight. I'm going to pay you back for the money you let me have in Francois's place the other day. Oh, no, Jake. Let it go till tomorrow. Yeah, I better take it now while I got it. All right. There you are. Thanks, Jake. Say, I suppose you heard about the strike that Red and Lucky made. Strike? No, I didn't even know they were back. Well, they come back and filed their claim today. They're over at the bar now. There they are. wonder why they didn't tell me about it. I'd better see them. Set them up again, Barney. Oh, they're Pete. Hello, Pete. Come on, name your poison. Yeah, Lucky and Red just made a strike. They're going to be rich. Hello, Pete. Hello, boys. Why didn't you tell me the good news? Oh, you didn't happen to be around, that's all. Well, I should think you'd have found me. 
After all, half your claim is mine. Half yours? What do you mean? <laughs> What's he talking about? Well, you boys know I grubstaked you. That entitles me to half the claim. Oh, gosh, Pete. You've grubstaked so many people, I guess you just get everything mixed up. But you signed the paper. It's at home. Did you have any witnesses to prove we did this little deal you're dreaming up? Why, you know, I trusted you. You signed that paper. Wait, you got a little mixed up, Pete. You get that paper and maybe we'll remember. <laughs> Hey, come on, boys. Let's have another fish. Right him up. <laughs> the following morning, Sergeant Preston looked gravely at the tin box opened on the table in Pete's cabin. You'd better tell me everything that happened, Pete. Now, are you sure you had the paper that proved you were grubstake lucky in red? Sure I had it. Right here in this tin box. Mm. You say you had no witnesses here when you signed the paper? No, I didn't. It's red and lucky with you. Well, there isn't anything you can do about it legally without that paper. Did red and lucky know where you kept it? Sure they did. They saw me put it away. Oh, I'm afraid you're too trusting, Pete. You mean you think they stole it? It's possible. There isn't any way we can prove it. They didn't get into town until yesterday. Hmm, that's how it looks. Well, come on, let's go outside. They may have left some tracks around. Doubt it, though, after that snow last night. Here, Mabel, Mabel, Mabel. Jimmy, there's no use looking for that pup anymore. Has Mabel disappeared? Yes, thank goodness. He wasn't in the house when we got back from the show the other night. Yes, somebody picked him up. Good riddance, I say. Sergeant Preston, you haven't seen anything of Mabel, have you? Why, no, I haven't, Jimmy. He's been gone since night before last. Jimmy, stop bothering the sergeant. He's got more important things to look for than that fool animal. Oh, but King could find him. He knows Mabel's name, don't you, King? I'll help you look for Mabel later, Jimmy. Right now, we're looking for some strange tracks. You better circle the cabin, Pete. Could I borrow King while you're looking? Or, or do you need him? Why, I don't need King right now. He doesn't know what I'm looking for. Go with Jimmy, King. Will you tell him to find Mabel, Sergeant? Find Mabel, boy. Where's Mabel? Come on, King. Find Mabel. We'll circle the cabin, too. Well, Pete, I guess there's no use... Nothing to show that anybody's been near your place. Yes, you're right, Sergeant. That's what I get for trusting too many people. Maybe you put that paper someplace else. You sure it was in that tin box? Yes, Sergeant Preston. What ails that fool kid? What's wrong, Jimmy? Oh, come on, Pete. Maybe the pup was caught in a trap. Come on, son. I was hoping he'd never find that fool dog. Hurry. King must have heard Mabel or smelled him or something. Mabel is down in a big hole. Too deep for me. I can't get him. Mabel's still alive? Yes, but he's pretty weak. He can't seem to make much noise. How could he fall down a hole? Here he is. Well, poor little fella. Here, Jimmy. Take my hand. I'll lower you down in the hole and pull you and Mabel up. Easy now. Don't worry, Mabel. I'm coming. Just like that fool dog. Not to look where he's going. Come on, boy. Say, Dad, here's one of your mitts. Down here beside me. I suppose. He was running away with it, I'll bet. Find it up here, Jimmy. There you are, please. Well, maybe you'll be glad we found Mabel. You'll have another pair of mittens. Uh, All right, Jim, take my hand. I'll pull you up. There you are. Wouldn't you know it. That dog has stolen at least a half dozen of my mittens. And the one I find with him. Isn't even mine. Mabel isn't hurt or anything. He'll be all right, Jim. Oh, well. This mitten fits me out. Hey, what's this? It's a paper. It was inside the mitten. Well, for the love... Well, what is it, please? It's the grubstake paper. What? 
Well, how would Did Mabel do something awful bad, Dad? Not this time, Jim. We don't know yet how Mabel did it, but it looks as though we helped your dad find a fortune. But that dog couldn't get in the tin box? No, but he was probably standing beside the man who did. Well, can you beat that? Uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, you better take Mabel right home and feed him and take care of him. I'll wrap him in a blanket and give him part of that venison in the storehouse <laughs> and some hot canned milk. What? Oh, sure, sure, Dad. Gee, thanks, Sergeant, for lending me King. I never could have found Mabel without him. That's all right, Jimmy. Give me that mitten, please. King and I are going to town to find the owner of it. Come on, King. The desk clerk at the Northern Hotel smiled as Sergeant Preston and his big dog, King, approached him in the lobby. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. Fine, Bill. I'd like some information. Anything you want, Sergeant. Are Red Davis and Lucky Darrell registered here? Yes, they're here. They're in room uh, 22. Uh Ain't in now, though. Saw me about an hour ago. <laughs> They're celebrating the big strike they made. Would you mind letting me have a look at their room? Well, I've got the key right here. Sure. Now, come on, I'll take you back. Thanks, Bill. Anything wrong, Sergeant? I don't know yet, but I think we'll soon find out. Well, it's a little irregular letting anyone in their room like this, but <laughs> Mounties are different. It won't take long. I'm trying to find the mate to uh, this mitten. Yeah, here's the room. Come in with me, Bill. If I find that mitten, I'd like you to be a witness. Sure, I'd be glad to. Go on, King. Well, you don't have to look far. Isn't this it here on the bed? Uh, it looks like the mate, all right. Of course, there are hundreds of mittens like this up here. It's a regular kind you get the trading post. Francois has hundreds of them. I have another way of checking whether the mitten I have belongs to the same man that one does. You keep that mitten, Bill. You and I are going to wait in the lobby until Lucky and Red get back. There they are now, Sergeant. Go back to the room. I don't want them to think I'm interested. Keep talking to me when I cross the lobby. Start it down the hall. What are you going to do? I'm going to give King the scent of this mitten that gets on with his cabin and tell him to search. If the mitten belongs to Lucky or Red, King will pick up the scent right here in the lobby. It's good and fresh, and he can't miss it. If he follows him, give you a double check. They've gone down the hall. Here, King. Smitten. Find him, fella. Come on, King. I'll lead you past the door. Does he know what you want him to do? Yes, he knows. This took a lot of training. Search, boy. Find him. He's picked up the scent. He's following Red and Lucky. Come on. This is all I needed. Oh, uh, you got that mitten we found in their room? Yep, I've got it. King is standing right at their door. Who is it? It's Sergeant Preston, Red. Open this door. Hello, Sergeant. Hi, Bill. What's wrong? Good work, King. What's the matter? What's wrong with that dog? He's trying to find the owner of this mitten. He seems to think it's yours, Red. Why, why, no, that's not mine. I never saw it before. King knows it's yours. And I searched your room before you came in and found his mate. Show it to him, Bill. Here it is. Red, it's King still lucky. This is a frame-up. You can't prove you found that in my room. Oh, yes, I can. Bill came in with me, and he can witness it. Yep. We found it about an hour ago. You're both under arrest for breaking into Pete's cabin and attempted fraud. But, but how did you find that mitten? Well, A mongrel pup named Mabel found it. But uh, you'll find out about that later. I'm taking you two to jail. When you're safely locked up, 
King and I are going to take Mabel a bone for saving us a lot of hard work. Yes, thanks to King and Mabel, this case is closed. <laughs> Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature, is brought to you each week at this time, and all characters, names, and incidents used are fictitious. Listen again next week to another exciting adventure during the days of the gold rush. L. Prow speaking. This program came to you from Detroit. Have you ever wanted to witness a murder trial? Well, for the same atmosphere and effect, listen to Famous Jury Trials when it's on the air every Saturday night over most of these ABC stations. You'll hear tense courtroom scenes, cross-examination of witnesses, dramatic testimonies, the judges charged to the jury as the case moves quickly to an exciting and often surprising climax. To aid the actors feel their roles and to bring an air of authenticity to scenes viewed by the studio audience, famous jury trials is enacted in costume and scenery, and the full atmosphere of the courtroom is conveyed by gasps of amazement, the mutterings of anger, and other emotional outbursts on the part of the trial spectators. To heighten the dramatic effect of the show, the action leading up to the crime is reenacted. Be sure to be a member of the listening jury when Famous Jury Trials is broadcast tonight over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.